Welcome back to the Building Peace Initiative at YouWantAPeaceOfMeOnline.com. This is John Van Bladel, and our podcast today is titled, I Hope You Find My Message in a Bottle, Overcoming Despair. Now, I was inviting the bell of mindfulness occasionally, but after a couple of hours trying to figure out audacity and looking at the other comments online, I have not yet figured it out. So you will just get a bell, and then we'll breathe together. Um, it won't resonate for a while. Sorry about that. Uh, let's see. So how do we stay solid, grounded, so that we can continue to maintain our sense of stability and peace and direct our energies towards creating a more peaceful world? Now, this is not an easy task. Uh, we often believe that for us to be peaceful, we need a number of external conditions to be met, like a good job, house, car, or perhaps some fame. But is that really the case? Well, I'm with Abraham Maslow on this and his hierarchy of needs. When we do not have our basic physical and emotional needs met, it is hard to become, as Maslow would say, self-actualized. Rutger Bregman's work also elucidates the fact that when we're in a scarcity mode, our brain functions differently. Um, take a look at his podcast, Poverty is Not a Lack of Character, It's a Lack of Cash. Um, when the old brain, as opposed to the new brain, and its higher cognitive function is activated, and when we're in fight-flight or survival mode, we perceive the world very differently. We're fear-based and see threats and enemies, and we can often overreact and misinterpret threats. Post-traumatic stress disorder comes to mind. Uh, we're constantly scanning the environment for danger when we're in that condition. Our actions become defensive and aggressive. So we need a basic sense of safety to ground us if we're to cultivate peace in ourselves. So the question is, where does that sense of internal peace come from? Can it be arrived at individually uh, by sitting under a Bodhi tree? Well, you, you can find one and try it, or perhaps a nice sugar maple or oak tree. Uh, but that's a rare experience. Avoid the oak trees. The squirrels will be gathering nuts and they'll probably be dropping them on you. Uh, let's see, we need some support. Uh, the Buddhists would say to take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Now, by the way, this can get really complicated, but I'm going to keep it very simple. Feel free to explore it more deeply on your own. Briefly, the Buddha is, well, Buddha. Uh, the Dharma are his teachings, and the Sangha is a community of practice. Now, Christians would say Christ, his teachings, and the church. Uh, Hindus would say something else, as would nu numerous other religions. Um... For people who don't practice religion, it's a like-minded group of people who provide support. Now, one thing is clear, being alone, feeling isolated, it's a real tough place to be. It deteriorates our mental and physical health, and actually can be lethal. We die from loneliness. And it's not only a lack of physical contact, it's a lack of emotional and spiritual or connectedness, I would say, for those of you who don't subscribe to spirituality. There is more than one way to accomplish this sense of feeling safe. So when you make the choice to practice peace, it can get lonely. There's not many job listings for peacemakers. Uh, there aren't many colleges that offer degrees in peace and conflict studies. Uh, and since there are not many jobs, good luck at getting students to run a program for at a college. Uh, there's little focus on peace in public school systems. It's hard to get a dialogue, or to start a dialogue on something, uh, when we don't have much knowledge about it. 
then there are the social stereotypes that I'll talk about in a while and sanctions against the topic of peace. Um, it can be a long, lonely, adversarial road. Um, and some of this resistance is just another way um, that people use to try and deflect from having to come into contact with a topic that's uncomfortable for many of us. And you may ask, why is it uncomfortable? Well, I think because we're not living up to the ethics we were taught by our school and religious education. Uh, for a start, let's take a look at the seven deadly sins, briefly. Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. I'm sure a few of us can chuck that one off. Uh, wrath, I would consider killing people or participating in a way that causes harm to others. The Buddhist ten non-virtues are pretty interesting. We have killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, lying, divisive speech, harsh, harsh speech, pointless gossip. Yeah, I'm going to stop now because I'm feeling pretty bad about this whole this this list. <laughs> Greed, covetous, covetousness, harmful intent, and wrong view. Denial of cause and effect. That's called. Let's little take a little bit of a breath today. And as I said, we're just going to get one ding with the bell, and then we'll just continue to breathe in and out. So you can breathe in and out, all the way in and all the way out to come back to the present and absorb what has been said. Yeah, I think that one might have worked out okay. Because when the voice is going, the bell is picked up. Go figure. Hey, if any of you know anything in a simple solution for this, uh, feel free to send it to me. Because I have spent more time than I want to on a beautiful Sunday morning uh, <laughs> trying to figure this out. Well, continuing. The lack of education provided to students on the practice of peace uh, really led me to develop, to develop my own educational plan after attaining my first degree. Z. There was a couple of them, so I added the Z on. Uh, with the help of uh, Blue Cliff, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh, his monks, and a couple of insightful people, I found at Empire State College in New York, I, with them, designed a program, or actually a degree for myself, entitled The Historical Genesis of Conflict, Peace, and Reconciliation. And I'd like to focus more on it, but I keep getting all these distractions like COVID and um, uh, just the usual inane paperwork that you have to do every day. Um, but that whole opportunity to develop that was really cool. It was like I had entered a really exciting playground full of new adventures, and the world just opened up for me. This is what I've been looking for. My whole life, I'd found what I'd be doing for the rest of my life, working to make the world a more peaceful place by addressing something more than direct violence, um, that being the structural violence that produced it. Now, the cool part is I had all these thoughts in my head for years, and this really helped coalesce them. Um, I, you know, most of us, uh, explored one of the King and Gandhi in school, but it was never in depth. It was a very brief encounter. I got the same standard briefing that a lot of you did, and I don't remember spending any time with them at any level, uh, in college. Um, no class really delved into how their thinking developed, how they developed and implemented their plans for peace. Uh, maintain their commitment and focus and their sanity as they advocated for a more just and peaceful world. Now, religion was a foundation for them. Um, that was mentioned, but again, that was not 
explored to any meaningful depth. And I think that's important because we all have different views of religion. Some people use it as a foundation to do some amazing things. Now, you hear my excitement, right? That is the antidote for despair, to get engaged. That's how you maintain it. And we can make a decision daily to choose what thoughts we pay attention to uh, for the most part. For example, there's a mantra by Thich Nhat Hanh when you get up in the morning. Waking up this morning, I smile. 24 brand new hours are before me. I vow to live them mindfully and to look upon all beings with the eyes of compassion and love. Now, this is an example of cognitive restructuring, and it's a good starting point. It's certainly better than same crap different day. Um, there's a lot more we can do than that, um, but I will get into it further in the future. Um, well, you know, I'm going to share something with you that just came to mind, and this has to do with increasing our awareness. Uh, as, you, as I've said, I find learning fun. It keeps me alive and engaged. Uh, one of the quotes that I ran across in graduate school was by a guy named Marcus Tilius Cicero, a Roman statesman. Life without learning is death. A little, little grim, maybe, but... I like it. Um, now, back to the thing that had come to mind. The first Amnesty International conference I went to was at Boston University. And, you know, I noticed they had a couple of big banners uh, there and pictures of Martin Luther King Jr. And I thought to myself, gosh, they really must like Martin Luther King Jr. Come to find out, as I was walking around the campus during a break, it um, attended Boston University to pursue his doctoral studies in systematic, or what is it? Systematic theology. I get it mixed up with systemic sometimes. Now, how did I not know this? He was one of the most impressive critical thinkers of all time. Why didn't we study his development? Like, how did he get to the point of embracing nonviolence? What was, what was his interpretation of Christianity that led him to it? Why was he willing to study and embrace the teachings of Gandhi, a Hindu? What was it that pushed him in that direction? And how did he persist in that direction, despite all the scrutiny, resistance, fear, hatred, daily threats that he encountered? I mean, it's an incredibly inspiring story, uh, but I want to know what was in his mind, what was in his heart, what was in his soul. These are all important questions to consider. Um, and here's one of those ex-people that when I feel overwhelmed or fearful that I'm falling into despair, I can read some of his writings, or listen to some of his speeches, and it helps to ground and inspire me. Now, I'm no Martin Luther King Jr., but I feel a common cause or kinship with him as someone who wants to have a world that is more peaceful. I feel that sense of interconnectedness that helps to sustain me. I'm not alone. Now, one of my favorite insights of his is, in a real sense, all life is interrelated. All people are caught in a inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. I have to take a little bit of a breather here. Remember, we're gonna just breathe in and out, all the way in, and all the way out, so we can slow down a bit and come back to the present.
Ooh, I think I have this worked out. If I talk during the bell and consider it like a guided meditation thing, I might have solved my problem. See? I'm inspired. So, once again from Thich Nhat Hanh, we are here to awaken from the illusion of our separateness. Uh, so, and there's so many people throughout history have got this. Uh, many physicists, a uh, ton of people out there. So, as I mentioned, Martin Luther King Jr., he studied Gandhi. Uh, he also met with Thich Nhat Hanh, whose quote I just used, and he nominated him for a Nobel Peace Prize. Now, remember what I said about critical thinking? Uh, both Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. searched out others because of an intrinsic need to do so. What we need to do is advocate and develop peace and conflict studies education so people will at least have some information and the opportunity available for them to consider the possibility of peace as the preferred option for resolving conflicts and addressing structural violence. We need more people invested in this. We have to find each other. Now, moving on to Gandhi, I mentioned what a powerful critical thinker is. Uh, one of the books I would recommend is The Story of My Experiments with the Truth. Must read. Uh, and there I encountered the concept of Satyagraha and a good explanation of it. Uh, and that's been very helpful to me. And you may ask, what is it? Well, in Gandhi's words, truth, or satya, implies love and firmness. And agraha is basically force. I thus begin to call the, began to call the Indian movement satyagraha. That is to say, the force, which is born of truth and love, or nonviolence, and gave up the use of the phrase passive resistance in connection with it, so much that even in English writing we often avoided it and used the word satyagraha itself or some other equivalent English phrase. Now think about that for a moment. I can feel at least a degree of that in my commitment to contributing to a more peaceful world. But my old brain takes this away from me sometimes. Um, fear, like I say, and some of the other issues that come up, non-virtues we'll call them, the Buddhists would call them, you know, I, I will be and I have been criticized and outgrouped to a degree for taking this on a professional direction, you know, peace and conflict studies. The scary part is a lot of it is indirect. So you can't really deal with it. Uh, consequences can be numerous. Non-cooperation from colleagues, the usual stereotype, stereotypes, hippie, smoke too much weed, unpatriotic. And my favorite, this is just fluff. Um, job jeopardy is not out of the question either, depending on which way the administration is leaning, and that can vary due to the politics, um, the political climate that you're living in. Uh, in case you haven't noticed, um, issues like structural violence, specifically diversity in education, are being attacked. Uh, and if I did this podcast in some states, it might cause some employment problems for me. Now, all of this together has a way of eroding one pe one's peace of mind. One other consideration is that when you start to put people into contact with topics that create discomfort or cognitive dissonance, they may react negatively towards you. Now, with my background and experience, I really wasn't surprised by the opposition um, offered by some uh, to doing class development around the concept of peace. In fact, but you know, what really happened is that particular opposition as I moved along was a good thing because it occurred it eventually occurred in a public forum where I was presenting um, curriculum and it gave me a chance to respond and raise awareness about what I was proposing beginning with it's not anti-military in fact we're hoping that 
a more peaceful world can prevent people from suffering the trauma of having to kill someone or having themselves get killed or injured physically or psychologically. So since I was well prepared, and others simply weren't as well prepared, uh, remember our educational system has not uh, educated us on the topic, it gave me a chance to practice an informed assertive compassion, to try and build bridges rather than barriers. Um, so I never would have gotten this far without the support of the monks at Blue Cliff, some of the teachers at Empire, and without some colleagues at my workplace who had high status and supported me. The key here is I was not alone. You're not going to accomplish things alone. So how do we avoid despair? We gain knowledge. Get inspired. Find the satyagraha in you. Know your stress and risk tolerance. Find support. And practice an informed, assertive compassion. So till the next podcast, may you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be safe. May you be filled with love and kindness, and may you find peace.